told Shane this week when I saw the order of service that um, I remember that song I have decided to follow Jesus being played the night that I after weeks of struggling with God about the call of my life and I distinctly remember it um, a Sunday night at First Baptist Wichita Falls I remember I remember where I knelt at the altar I don't remember where I was sitting in the pew but I remember walking forward and telling God all right I give up whatever you want to do with my life I'll do it and that was really after weeks of God speaking to me and me not wanting to do what God called me to do um, but that night and that point of surrender changed the direction of my life there are times that we make decisions that change the rest of our lives um, and I guess as we start a new year it reminds me that there are opportunities and there are things that God wants to do in our life and it's just a matter of us saying yes but that's a hard that's it's easy for me to say yes <laughs> it's harder in our hearts to surrender and say God whatever you want to do with my life uh, another old hymn says I'm pressing on the upward way new heights I'm gaining every day still praying as I'm onward bound Lord plant my feet on higher ground the chorus says Lord lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's table land a higher plane than I have found Lord plant my feet on higher ground that hymn is based on the words <laughs> that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 when he said not that I have already attained or am already perfected but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to talk, begin to talk about higher ground <laughs> the second verse of that old hymn says my heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay though some may dwell where these abound my prayer my aim is higher ground my prayer for my own life and for the life of our church 
is that beginning this Sunday, God would do a work of taking us to higher ground. I want to use a historical example from the scriptures. And I need to lay it out before you today. Um, if God is to take us to higher ground, then we have to have a vision of what that looks like. What is it that God calls us to? And I believe the beginning point of God taking us to higher ground is, yes, a vision of what that looks like, but also it is an assessment of where we are now. We have to see where we're going, but we have to be honest about where we are. And this morning is all about that assessment of where am I? Where are we as a church? And with that, the vision of what it looks like for God to take us to higher ground. <laughs> I use this historical example from the Old Testament partly because Paul uses this. And I want to start with this. I want you to see that in Paul's mind, the experience that the children of Israel went through in Egypt and in the wilderness and the promised land is a spiritual example for us and what God wants to do in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks in these terms and he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And then he makes this statement in verse 6. Now these things became our examples. This is a rather lengthy historical example, but it will be something that I will be laying out in the weeks to come. And it is really the story of the Old Testament and what God did in the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt to the wilderness to eventually bringing them to the promised land. <laughs> Israel is a spiritual example for us and I need you to have in mind that story so we can talk about what it is that God wants to do in our lives. I have four words that help summarize the history, the historical example, and I want, to, I want you to see these four. It's promise, redemption, provision, inheritance. Now, some of you have been raised in church and maybe been in church all your life, and I'm going to recount history, and you're going to go, no, I know this. Some of you, maybe this is new, uh, but this is somewhat of a summation of what God did from the end of 
Genesis uh, through the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And I believe it really starts with that first word, promise. Because actually the story started way before Moses and the bondage in Egypt. It started with a man by the name of Abraham. Actually in Genesis chapter 12. God calls a man by the name of Abraham and he promises him a number of things, but two things that I want to talk about this morning. He promises them many descendants. Abraham at that point had no descendants. And he also promised him a land that he would show him someday. In fact, he asked him to leave his land where he lived and go to the land that God would show him. Ends up being the land of Canaan. But Abraham didn't know that. God promised Abraham many descendants and that God would give him and his descendants that land and through God blessing them all the families of the world would be blessed now Abraham and his sons his son <laughs> and sons after him a group of people we call the patriarchs came to that land the land of Canaan uh, they didn't exactly possess the land in fact they were nomads they were sheep herders uh, and they just grazed their herds in this land. They were, they were nomads. They lived in tents. It was not a permanent dwelling, but they were at least on the land. Until the time of Joseph, towards the end of Genesis, and because of a famine, God provides for them, and Abraham and a total of 70 people Seventy people, which is what his descendants were at this point, went to the land of Egypt and they settled in what my Aunt Sue called Land of Goshens. That was just kind of Aunt Sue would say, Oh, Land of Goshens. I don't know. I don't, I don't. Anyhow, when I think of Land of Goshen, I think of my Aunt Sue. It was some kind of ex, uh, hmm, what was it? exclamation something. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Be careful what I was about to say. Um, and they're there for 430 years, the Bible says. And obviously Joseph, the descendant of Abraham, had great prominence there, but there, the book of Exodus says there arose a Pharaoh that did not know him, and they began to oppress the children of Israel. And in those days, God calls a Redeemer to rescue them and his name was Moses and God meets with Moses we don't have time to tell all that story he meets with Moses and I want you to notice what he says to Moses in Exodus 3 verses 7 and 8 listen very closely and the Lord said I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows here's what God says so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians 
and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, God says a lot to Moses, but the two things I want you to note is God says, I want to take you out of this place of bondage, but that's not it. That's not all that there is. God said, I also want to take you to that land. I I promised your forefathers. It's your land. I'm the God Almighty. This is your rightful possession, the land. And it's a good land. And it's, it's that phrase, I, I think it's probably the first time it appears in Scripture, it is, a flan, uh, it is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It's a bountiful land. It's a great place. It's a place that I have prepared for you is rightfully yours. God promised all of those things. And if you know the story of the second part, redemption, the book of, 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 in Exodus God sends Moses back to talk to Pharaoh. There's one little note I want to make. (laughs) That when Moses appears before Pharaoh, he said, let my people go out into the wilderness. And he he specifies the distance. He says a three days journey. Three days journey into the wilderness so that we might sacrifice and worship our God. We cannot do it in the land of Goshen. And obviously Pharaoh won't. God sends the plagues. You remember what happens then? The final plague. You remember what it was? The death of the firstborn. God was already laying out the story of redemption that would happen in Jesus Christ. It will cost you the death of the firstborn. But there's a way of escape for you who know the Lord God. If that night you will take a lamb and you will sacrifice that lamb and you will take some of the blood and you will put it on the doorpost of your home that when the death angel comes over to take the firstborn, which are God's, the death angel will pass over you. There will be a substitute for the death of the firstborn through the blood of the lamb. And through that experience we call the Passover, God provides redemption to the children of Israel and that night they leave with their unleavened bread and they began to go into the wilderness and it it was a little while but they got to a body of water called the Red Sea and they were as we would say stuck like Chuck between a rock and a hard place but what does God do you know the story he parts the waters they pass through the water and the water comes over and consumes the Egyptian army and God redeems them he takes them out of the slavery they have been in and he sets them free and the second the third word is the word provision because then what does God do in those days in the wilderness he provides for them Manna, which was like bread to eat. He provides them water. Even when they complained, God sent them quail. Thank you, Jesus, for quail. Mm. 
That'd be good right about now, wouldn't it? I'm sorry. Manna, water, meat. And God led them. It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He gave them bread, water, meat, and He told them where to go. All they had to do was follow God. And God had a great plan for them. God's ultimate destination was not the wilderness, but they had to pass through the wilderness to get to the promised land. They had been redeemed. They were free. And there was actually times that they got to bellyache and being in the wilderness and God, they didn't see the water or didn't have the food or whatever. And they said, we would have rather died in Egypt than died out here in this wilderness. Hmm. Well, those are stories we can't tell today. But it is of note that in those days in the wilderness, God provided for them. But it was not where God wanted them to be, which comes to the fourth word, which is the word inheritance. They had been promised by Father God as His children There was a land that was rightfully theirs, and it was the land of Canaan. That's what God was saying to Moses. I have come down to deliver them out of Egypt and to take them to a good land, the land of the Canaanites and the Jebusites, Hivites, Perizzites, some otherites. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. The story is told, actually, we only encounter it to the book of Numbers. (laughs) They come to a town on coming out of Egypt after they've gone by Mount Sinai and God has given them the law. So they've gone the three days journey to Mount Sinai, which is where Moses said we want to worship God because that's where he had encountered God in the burning bush, the early chapters in Exodus. And they had left there And they had gone to the southern edge of the land of Canaan. And you remember the story they sent the 12 spies in? To verify that the land was a good land that flowed with milk and honey. And they came back and said, sure enough, God is true. It's been 430 years since any of them have been there. Yes, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. Hmm. This is where the Baptist committee began to break down, though, because there were ten of them that said, yes, it does flow with milk and honey, but there are people with walled cities and giants in that land. We can't take that land. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, oh, no, no, we must. God is able. God has brought us to this point. He's provided for us through all of this time. God will do it. It is our land. He's told us it is our land. We've seen Him do the miraculous things in the plagues, in the Passover, and all of that. We have seen God work. We must go up and take the land. But the people listened to the ten spies, and eventually at the place called Kadesh Barnea. That was that southern point where they got to, to go into the land of Canaan. They sent the spies from Kadesh Barnea, and they came back. And at Kadesh Barnea, the people said, I don't think God can. 
and so we won't. They lack the faith to go in and possess the land that God says was rightfully theirs and God had given them and God would provide for them to go and to take that land. It was their inheritance. And most of you know what happened. God says, because of your lack of faith, this generation will spend 40 years in the wilderness and when this generation has died off and those who were too young to make decisions at this point when they're all that's left God says I will take you in the land and so for 40 years the children of Israel wander in the wilderness it's like being on vacation with Daryl Smith and being lost and you're thinking didn't we pass that gas station before about an hour and a half ago no what, is, what does it denote wandering in the wilderness? <laughs> it means you're not getting anywhere. You're not in Egypt. You're not in the promised land. No, you're just out there. Forty years. Wandering around. Is God still providing for them? Oh, yes. Manna every morning. Except the seventh day. There's water. There's quail. There's the pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. They knew where to go. And God just led them through the wilderness, wandering around, wasting time, waiting for a generation to die. Mm. Eventually, after 40 years, Moses is still alive, but he's about to, God's about to take him out. Moses writes the book of Deuteronomy. Deutero means second and nomos, anonymy, I guess you would say, means law. They come to the edge of the promised land, this time not from the south, Kadesh Barnea, but they come from the east across the Jordan. And uh, God says, because of Moses, I don't have time to tell it, so you're not going in. And so Moses sat down one last time with the children of Israel, and he said, I want to go over this a second time of what God did and he begins to recount the history and to go over the law and I want to look just my last scripture is just of these last, these first three verses in Deuteronomy 1 Deuteronomy 1 1 through 3 these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness in the plain opposite Suf between Paran Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. I'm struck by verse 2. It is 11 days journey from Horeb 
which is uh, another word for Mount Sinai where they got the law. It is 11 days journey from Horeb or Mount Sinai by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And the final shoe falls for me in verse 3 when it says, Now it came to pass in the 40th year. I thought, wait a second. Moses said it was a three days journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai where they wanted to worship God. And now he says it's 11 days journey from that point to Kadesh Barnea at the southern edge of of the land of Canaan and I thought wait a second by that route which is not even the most direct route it is a 14 day journey to get to the promised land 14 days and then Moses says but in the 40th year Oh, wait a second. That which should have taken 14 days has taken them 40 years. What a waste. That they had wandered in the wilderness, not making any progress. Literally, year after year after year. Do you understand? It's not how long you've been on the road. It's how much progress you've made that really counts. I want you to see a map of the land that God promised the children of Israel. Uh, you see, uh, Kadesh Barnea is further south of Beersheba, there in the southern part. Uh, the children of Israel are across the Jordan from Jericho, so you see on the eastern side. Uh, in the book of Joshua, when they went in to take the land and they divided up the land according to the tribes, these are the way the land was allotted for each tribe. This was the land that God said is your inheritance. It's rightfully yours. You just have to go in and take it. I want you to see that. You'll see that in the weeks to come. Uh, it was their land. God says, I will give it to you. You must go up and take it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that all of this is an example, a spiritual example for us. And what I realize 
is that if you are a child of God today, by faith, personal faith in Jesus Christ, you've said yes to Christ and his sacrifice, just as the Passover lamb was killed, Jesus was killed, but you must apply the blood. If you've applied the blood and said, yes, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need the blood of Jesus to cover me and cleanse me so that when you look at me, you do not see my sin, but you see the sacrifice of your son. If you've taken that step of faith and you are a child of God, there is a life, that God wants to lead you to. He wants it. He has provided for it. It is rightfully yours. But you must take it by faith. My heart is your pastor as we start a new year. is that we wouldn't come to the end of this year and to say, you know, if I'm just being real honest, I'm right where I was a year ago in my spiritual journey. The picture I get is of being redeemed out of Egypt. And if you're a child of God, God has redeemed you. There's no question. He has freed you from the slavery of sin. And the reality is he's provided for you. In the same way Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 10, the manna, the water, even he uses the illustration of passing through the sea. You've been redeemed out of Egypt and you've passed through the waters as a Christian is baptized and God has provided you the manna and the water and the quail and he's led your life. But it is possible for us to spend year after year under God's provision but never make it to the promised land of the life that he wanted us to have that we must secure we must take by faith I don't want us to come to the end of this year and say you know if I'm being real honest I'm where I was at the start of this year and I sure don't want us to get 40 years down the road and say you know what I'm really no further in my journey than I was 40 years ago maybe when I started As a pastor, as your pastor, I'm saying God challenges us to take our lives to higher ground. I believe the Old Testament example of the promised land is not an example of the promised land being heaven someday. And many times in our hymns we sing about that, that, that heaven is the promised land. And I guess in some respects it is. But I would contend today, no, the spiritual analogy example from the Old Testament is the promised land, is the Christian life that God has for us that we must go up and secure. And we must take by faith as the children of Israel went through the land of Canaan and, and got rid of the, the Hivites and the Jebusites and all those other people. And they went in and they possessed the land. And it took them years. And we're going to look at that in the book of Joshua. There is a life that God has for us that we must go and we must take. It is rightfully ours and we can't waste another year wandering in the wilderness just doing the same thing being provided for by God. Yes, we're redeemed. But God didn't take us to the wilderness to leave us there. He took us through the wilderness so that we might get to the promised land. I want you to take your little slips of paper, the 12 marks of the disciple, 
And it occurred to me that the 12 marks of a disciple speak of the life that God has for us If you're a child of God, then number one and number two are a given. You've, you've experienced salvation, and I trust that you've been scripturally baptized. We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning in assessing where am I. And I want you to use those marks of the disciple. You can use one and two if you need to, but three through twelve. What is the life that God wants for us? Well, if you just take these one by one, the territory we need to take in each of these areas, if we're to be a student of the Word, is that God ultimately wants us to know and to be able to apply and use the Word of God so that we know how to find things in the Bible that we've memorized Scripture, that we're meditating on Scripture, that we're spending time in Scripture every day. I've made the commitment this year, and I've done it past, to read my Bible through in 2016. It's something I need to do again this year. I need to spend time in God's Word every day. I have a Henry Blackaby devotional that will be my guide in the mornings. I will read my Scriptures at night. If you are deficient in this area, what it means is that there are, there's a part of your territory that you have not expanded. And maybe you've been, you've been comfortable in your knowledge of Scripture. But quite honestly, it's not all that God wants it to be. If you are a child of God, God will give you understanding of the Scripture, but you must apply the effort to go and to take that area of your life. It's not going to come to you by osmosis or while Brother Daryl's up here ranting and raving for 40 minutes every Sunday morning. You have to take it day by day and to use that, know how to use it and apply it to your life so that truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Some of you, as you're assessing your life, you may say, I've got to expand my territory as a student of God's word number four devoted to prayer wow I've been convicted by this too I'm too far down the road to have such an apathetic prayer life I know better there's too much at stake in my life to wander in the wilderness another year without power in prayer Jesus break my heart and teach me to pray as I've never prayed before. <clears throat> Committed to community. There has to be a commitment to the local body of believers. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, it says in Hebrews 10.25. Committed. If this is your, if this is your family... If this is your spiritual family, this is, as George Parr says, your circle. Be committed to that circle. And maybe that's a territory as you assess your life that you have to say, I've got to take some more of that territory. I'm, I'm not committed as I ought to be. 
death to self. There may be some things in your life, even as the children of Israel said, there's some strongholds, there's some giants, the sons of Anak are there that I just haven't wanted to deal with. To deal with. There's some things in my life that are all about me that quite honestly, that territory cannot be expanded because there's things that I've allowed to go on. There's strongholds in my life. Demonstrate love. <laughs> Maybe there's some people in some ways that you need to love that you've just said, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good little Christian person at work and at school and with my family and my neighborhood. And God's saying, no, I've really got so much more for you and I need to expand your love. A servant's heart, a giver, a witness. I mean, what does God want? God wants us to love as He loved. He wants us to die as Jesus died to self. He wants us to have a servant's heart like Jesus so that whatever the need is, God, I am at your disposal. A giver, God, whatever I have is not mine. It is something you have blessed me with. And however you choose to use that, God, it's yours. That, that's the higher ground. That's what God wants. That's when we've secured the land. And God is all that He he needs to be in our life a witness so that every day, every moment, if God needs me to speak, to act, to do whatever He needs me to do, I will be a witness. And I, I'm growing in my understanding of God's Word and in my courage and my boldness to speak truth to those that are around me. God, let that expand in my life this year. Resilience. That God, when the circumstances of life take me down, no, I'm pressing on. I'm not ever giving up. And there may be some area of your life that has knocked you down. And the territory that God wants to expand is of your perseverance, your resilience. And that last one, a reproducer. That ultimately I'm pouring my life into others who will pour their lives into others. And God, maybe I haven't been intentional in my relationships with others or reproducing my life in someone else. I want you to use this not only as a vision for what it is that God wants to do to take you to higher ground, but I'm going to ask Brother Shane to come for just a minute, and you're just going to remain standing. Shane, I guess all the music team can come. We're going to spend some time this morning in just assessing where we are. We need to have a vision for where it is that God wants to take us, but we have to know where we are. And let me tell you this, and it's, it was, it's true for the children of Israel as they went to take the land. God said it is rightfully yours. I cannot tell you what it is that God wants to do in your life and expanding your territory, an area of your life this year. I can't. You know why? Because I'm not God. Most of you know that. Yeah, amen. Thank you. Yeah. Because some of y'all have seen the way I've lived. And you say, oh, okay, okay, obviously he's not Jesus. Or the Holy Spirit or God the Father. Um, sorry, George, you got me off. Um, this is what I'm asking you as a pastor, that you begin in these next few moments to ask God, God, what is it that you need, want to do in my life for me to take it to the higher ground this year? What is it, God? I can't tell you, but I believe if your heart is sincere before God, God will show you what it is that He wants you to do. It was just like when the children of Israel went in to take the land. They didn't have a strategy. They didn't know. 
They said, God, what do you want us to do? He said, we're going to take the city of Jericho, and this is the way we're going to do it. Okay, God, we're going to do it. Not only will God show you what it is that he wants to do in your life if you sincerely ask him, but he'll give you a strategy. This is how we're going to tackle that. Your pastor is realistic enough to know I'm not asking you to be the greatest spiritual giant at the end of this year. You may be, and we pray for that. But my heart is, surely we cannot be where we are today at the end of this year.